0: They brought in Holtby as an insurance policy. He basically said, that was a waste of your time.
1: Welcome to episode 10 of The Fanalists. This is a milestone for us. I'm glad that you're here to listen to it with us. And to celebrate episode 10, we're going to dive in to an all canadian special episode for you we've got the raptors trade that just happened fresh off the presses we're recording this on trade deadline day for the nba we're going to talk about the ncaa and look at some of the canadians that you've got to watch through march madness and then we're going to go through the north division and go through some of the teams to look at the trade targets that they might go after for the nhl trade deadline And we're gonna jump into a new segment that we're calling Compelling Canucks, where we're gonna look at a Canadian athlete's backstory and tell you all there is to know about them and why you should be excited to follow them and have them represent your country. So why don't we start off with the Raptors.
0: If you watched last night's Raptors game, you kinda knew that there were gonna be some moves made. You didn't really know. There's a lot of talk about Kyle Lowry. Uh, Obviously, that didn't happen today. Part of me is pretty relieved. I I would have liked to have known what you could have got for him, but I think I'm happy with continuing to see him in a Raptors jersey and hopefully back in a Raptors jersey in Toronto.
1: Yeah, and I, I said it before, and I'll say it again. I think today really proved that the NBA as a whole undervalues what Lowry has to offer. All day today and through the past couple weeks, we've been hearing different offers from different teams from around the league. And none of it was up to the caliber of a player like Lowry. Like it just The value wasn't there from what the other teams were offering.
0: They always talk about the Raptors' culture, and I feel like if you give this guy up, you're taking a big hit as far as the culture goes. So I think that if you want to take these young players, especially the one choir today that we'll talk about and you want them to continue the Raptors way to keep guys like that who are cornerstone pieces. And I really think he's a big part of that
1: mentality. So he'll help teach that to future Raptors for at least a couple more years. So you talk about the culture in the locker room with the Raptors. We did lose a guy today that I think did have a big impact on that culture in Norman Powell. He wasn't obviously didn't have the same impact that Kyle Lowry had, but he's come through in a lot of clutch moments for us, and he's done a lot outside of basketball in regards to fighting for social justice and things like that. And I think that sort of attitude does add to a locker room. So, all the best to him in Portland, but now we've got to look forward because we got Gary Trent Jr and Rodney Hood back from Portland for Norman Powell this afternoon.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a little bit of excitement for fans there. As much as you might have wanted to see Norman Powell, you knew he was in for a big payday, and the Raptors are probably going to take a quick step back here, so it's probably just best for his career to move on. Also, he has a big opportunity in Portland, so I'm actually happy for him. Go there, continue to build your legacy, get paid over the summer. There's nothing saying the Raptors can't be in on that conversation anyways. So I think you got to take the assets. And uh, Gary Trent Jr., there's a huge thing about lineage. Obviously, his dad played in the NBA. So I think that's a good thing for the Raptors to take a second to look at. He's a young player. He's only 22 years old. He's uh, been very good this year. He has a lot of room to grow defensively he seems like he's a very strong player and I think that's a huge part of the Raptors so you gotta get players in that play your style and it looks like they did that today with this move.
1: Well yeah Gary Trent Jr. has put up about 15 points a game this year he's shooting at about 40% from the three which is good because they'll need that without Powell there to put those numbers up. Or is he going to directly slot into the lineup where Powell was? I don't think so. But he could get there. He's only 22 years old. I've seen online a lot of comparisons between his game and Powell's and the sense that he can learn the offense a little more, but he's already a more solid defender than Powell. So that's something that the Raptors could use going into next year. I, I don't know that they're going to make a push for the playoffs this year, but we'll see. You never know with this team. They're up and down this year, so...
0: I also like the fact that this move kind of gives them the ability to stay in the hunt a little bit. Like they're not absolutely throwing in the towel and taking a project. This is a player who will be able to play. Uh, It just might take a while to get to where he could possibly be in the future. So they didn't like take themselves completely out of the hunt. Obviously, they did subtract Terrence Davis and Matt Thomas today, but. I don't think those are huge subtractions and the Raptors are good at drafting. So even though a lot of people think that second round picks are lottery tickets in the NBA, I think the more lottery tickets you are, you have the better your odds and the Raptors have been pretty good at that. So I think we got to just let the Raptors continue to do their thing.
1: Yeah. And when you look at it realistically, Matt Thomas has had a chance in the lineup and he's never been consistent enough to stay on the, top five. He's always been a bench guy. And then Terrence Davis in this last stretch where the main guys were all out with COVID, he got a chance to try and break the lineup and he really just couldn't do it. Couldn't make anything happen. So I'm not, I'm not upset about losing those two guys. And it opens up a couple roster spots so that in the off season, if the Raptors decide they want to go after some free agent targets, which I think they will, I really think they've open themselves up to that possibility, then they can go after some big names in the offseason.
0: That's a good point,
1: too, you made. Like, these players actually had a really big opportunity
0: when the COVID outbreak happened to force themselves onto the court and not give that up. We've seen Nick Nurse be a very good coach over the past couple years, and if you went out there and you performed, he's going to let you keep performing until you play yourself off the court again. So these guys had an opportunity. As I said a bunch of times in the last episode, the ball was in their court and they didn't do anything with it. So like you were saying, I don't feel like this is a huge subtraction and hopefully the Raptors can continue to do what they've been doing in the draft.
1: Yeah, I think they will. I think I'm interested to see what the Raptors bring to the table next season. I doubt we're going to see anything big this season. There's just nothing more to do this season. This season's kind of a write-off, but next season, there's lots of opportunity for growth through the offseason.
0: And there's a lot of players in the Raptors organization that can still grow. I think a lot of people get caught up in the fact that once you're at the highest level in whatever sport, you know that's as good as you're going to get. And
1: I think that's just a super short-sighted uh, look for the fans. Yeah, the Raptors have a really highly skilled young core. And there's even still a few other guys still coming up through the system that are playing once in a while but not playing big minutes that have lots of room to go grow. Like Malachi Flynn, for one, is a guy that... I I said it when we first talked about the possibility of a Lowry trade that I think that keeping Lowry gives him a chance to work with Malachi Flynn and really help develop him further so that when Lowry goes, if we re-sign Lowry, I should say, I guess, then Flynn's ready to just slot right into that position and able to be a leader on the team and not just a a role player. I
0: think it's already been shown that Lowry is a leader like that. There's a lot of guys, not that Lowry's in his prime anymore, but they wouldn't mentor a guy because, you know, you don't want that guy to take your spot. But you could argue that Lowry was in his prime when he did a lot of his mentoring with Fred Van Fleet. And I think that shows a lot of leadership and a really great person and a great player to take that risk of helping somebody get better, knowing that they're going to take your minutes, uh, but doing it for the best of your team.
1: Yeah. And Lowry has always been a team first kind of guy. So. I'm excited that he sticks that he stuck around. I'm curious to see if we're gonna sign him or do a sign and trade. I don't know what Masai has in his head going on right now. His head has got to be full of all these different options that he could do. So I'm excited to see what he comes up with. It's weird
0: to me that you say that that sign trades are just acceptable in basketball and in so many other sports like you would just lose so much credibility for doing something like that. Like I think about that in hockey. And if you signed a guy in free agency and traded him like two and a half months later, people would be going on about here. How you're a joke and this and that. And in the NBA, it's just good asset management. It just kind of shows the difference between the leagues. And I think that's something that makes me laugh. All right. So coming out of the NBA, A lot of people are pretty fired up for March Madness. I gotta say, I've actually been watching a lot more this year for the first time in a few years. And it's pretty exciting. There's lots of Canadians to watch. And obviously, there was no March Madness last year. So, uh, this is a huge opportunity for these players and a little bit of normalcy for all of us at home. So, I, I hope you're enjoying it.
1: Yeah, it's been a great tournament so far. There's been a lot of interesting upsets this year. I'm similar to you as that in that I don't follow it all the time, but I've I've paid attention a little more this year because we're doing the podcast and it's a reason to a reason to watch it. And I've enjoyed it. It's been really good. I've never really cared about NCAA sports before. I, I don't follow NCAA football. I don't really follow NCAA basketball that much. But having a chance to dive in and look into some of the Canadian players I'm excited to talk about them because they've got futures not just in NCAA and in the NBA and WNBA, but also in the Canadian Olympic League and the FIBA World Championships to play for our country. So I'm really excited to focus on these players through this tournament.
0: Because both of us were two into March Madness, we decided we'd highlight a player from both the men's and women's division, give you guys something to watch. There's obviously a lot of sports going on right now because of March Madness, so I was a little unsure where I was going to go with this at the start, but I settled on Andrew Nemhard for my men's division player. I currently plays for Gonzaga. They've won 26 0. They're the fifth team to enter March Madness undefeated ever, so I thought that was a huge accomplishment. He was also made his conferences. Sixth man of the year. Uh, This is huge because he was a starter in his previous two years in college. He just transferred to Gonzaga, so he was hoping for a little more success, and I I think he's found it. He's having a real strong season. Um, He's represented Canada on many occasions, and he actually represented Canada Many times with R.J. Barrett, obviously R.J. Barrett was on a little more direct route to the NBA, but this looks like it might be turning around. You obviously need players who are willing to come off the bench in the NBA, and the fact that this guy actually was a starter, transferred to another school looking for more success, and has been coming off the bench and having more success, and was willing to take that step back in order to be more competitive, I think that speaks a lot towards what he's doing, and I hope that he can continue to push forward. I also pick on Zaga just because uh, they're supposed to hang around, obviously being undefeated coming into the tournament. So, if it takes you a minute to hear this episode, you're still going to probably be able to follow them along. Obviously, like we were saying earlier, there's a lot of upsets in the March Madness tournament, so the sooner you listen, the better, obviously, but I expect him to be hanging around a lot, so that gives you a Canadian that you're going to be able to see that's going to have a lot of impact. He's playing, like I said, for Gonzaga, but he's from Aurora, so nice Ontario boy to get behind. Obviously, had a little bit of a soft spot because of that. He's averaging 9.2 points and and 2.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists coming off the bench, so definitely a player to watch, and hopefully you can tune into a Gonzaga game and See some of the future of Canadian basketball.
1: So I'll jump into my Canadian male player because hopefully we'll be able to face off in the finals because I've got Chris Duarte from the Oregon Ducks. It'd be great to see Oregon versus Gonzaga in the finals. Duarte was born in Montreal, but he did grow up in the Dominican, so I'm kind of stretching the the Canadian a little bit. But he was born in Canada, so I'm going to take him as a canadian but he moved to the dominican and then for his last two years of high school moved back to new york because he was really committed to improving his basketball game and trying to make a name for himself and i think he really has with oregon oregon had their first game canceled due to covid he only really has one game under his belt so far this tournament but in that game he put up 23 points three rebounds seven assists and had a 75% shooting percentage, which is ridiculous. This guy couldn't miss the entire game. Oregon, in the first half, put up 56 points, and he scored a lot of those points in the first half. He just came out swinging. I think he's really a really good player to watch. I've seen a lot of comparisons to Chris Boucher, actually, because he's a big man that's Canadian, and Chris Boucher also played for the Oregon Ducks. Honestly, when I'm looking at it, I think that's where the comparison ends because I can see Duarte blowing Boucher out of the water once he gets to the NBA. Duarte is really performing when it counts. Through the season, he averaged about 17 points a game and about two and a half assists. So the fact that he's coming out in March Madness with all eyes on him and really performing well I think that says something about him as a player and him as a person to not buckle under the pressure of the world looking at him, or at least North America.
0: Yeah, I think that's huge. And, and honestly, being a Canadian and trying to pursue basketball can be difficult, so it might have been the best. Not that I'm sure his parents didn't move originally because of basketball, but moving around and trying to give yourself the best opportunity to get seen is is a huge thing for Canadian athletes in sports that aren't super Canadian, so interesting path. But I hope that he keeps pushing, and it'll be exciting to see more Canadians have pro basketball
1: success. Do you want to jump into your female player? Sure. I was looking at Haley Brown. Uh, she she's playing right now for the sixth seed, Michigan. Born in Hamilton. She's not a player that you're looking at her stats. She's the kind of player that has intangibles that really make her stand out on the court because she's doing what's right off the ball. And that actually won her an award in Michigan last year. She won the Unsung Hero Award. So far in the tournament, Michigan has blown out two competitors, one of which was Tennessee, which is the number three seed. So... They won their first game against FGCU. I don't know what school that is, not going <laughs> uh, to lie. 87-66. to And even though she's more of an intangible player, she still scored 10 points and got 5 rebounds. And then in their second game against Tennessee, they won 70-55, to 55, and she upped her game even more and scored 14 points. So I think she's really a player to watch and I'm excited to watch her game on the 27th against Baylor because I think they're they're in the number one seed right now and they've got a monster offense. They're known for coming out and blowing teams out by 50 plus points. So in a game like that, it's a really good opportunity to showcase your players that are playing smart off the ball because it's you have to have players like that when you're playing against such a high powered offense that, that, like what Baylor has. And I should say, too, on top of that, Haley Brown has also won multiple medals with the World Canadian team in the FIBA World Championships in the U16, U17, and U19 tournaments. And was actually top 10 in rebounding in the 2017 U19 tournament for Team Canada. So that's pretty big. She's not had huge rebound numbers in the tournament, but... That's not to say that she's not going to start upping those numbers as the tournament progresses.
0: And I think, like you said, uh, with her intangibles, watching the Raptors more and more uh, through the last couple of years and and especially when they really struggled, you learn to appreciate those players that can do a little bit of everything more and have the intangibles because there were definitely times uh, as a Raptors fan – you didn't feel like you had guys like that. So I think that makes you start to appreciate those players at whatever level. And just how she's been able to have a spot on all those different teams at all the different levels for Canada really kind of is good proof that she's able to just find a fit and have an impact no matter what's going on on the court and what's being asked
1: of her. Yeah, it's really important for any team to have players like that because it it does it just it makes the players that aren't as good look better and it makes the players that are really highly skilled look even more highly skilled because you it, it just raises the caliber of the entire team when you have players that are really smart basketball players
0: Speaking of smart basketball players i'm gonna transition into my women's player and that's Aaliyah edwards uh, she's a Kingston native, so that definitely got my attention. Somebody close to home. If you listen and you know her, we'd love to talk on the podcast. She's been really interesting to watch. Obviously, a Canadian going to UConn is a huge accomplishment. They are a force as far as women's teams in the NCAA. Uh, they're always in the finals. It, for a little while, it was actually surprising to not see them win by Uh, blowout margins so it's really speaking to the development of Canadian talent especially in women's basketball that they're starting to be Canadians on that team and really having a huge impact like that so just this year she's both 2021 Big East sixth woman of the year and 2021 Big East all-freshman team so she's having a big impact on her first season and if it wasn't for Paige Beckers I think you'd be hearing a lot about her but uh, obviously she's taking a little bit of the spotlight but I think that's good for all Edwards I think she's going to continue to push herself you have another freshman with that kind of talent on your team it really pushes you to push yourself to the next level I think that'll be huge uh, similar to what you said Uh, My players done a lot of representing Canada, starting in the U16 level. But the biggest thing that stood out to me when I was doing this research is that she actually represented the senior team at a qualifying tournament when she was in grade 12. So she's always been a player that's been on the list of players to watch for Team Canada, and she's able to take advantage of that at a young age. And I think that's really gonna be huge for her and Team Canada moving forward. She's gonna be involved in Team Canada senior women's basketball for a long time. going to allow her to have a way bigger impact. Fingers crossed on my side that she goes down as one of the best women's players because I really do like her story. I like her energy. I, I was able to watch a game the other day and she just she's willing to do a little bit of everything she's competing for rebounds, she's making shots all over the court. Her purple and yellow dreads are something really that kind of catch your attention, and I I think that uh, for something growing like Canadian basketball, that kind of character and that kind of attention is, is huge. She's having a great year. She's a, she's a season high of 14 rebounds and a season high of 24 points, so that's a lot as a a freshman, especially someone who wins Sixth man of the year. She's not starting and she's still having a big impact both offensively and defensively. She's a real physical player and I think that's something Canadians definitely get behind. So I think that has a lot to do with her building a legacy moving forward. She, she competes, she works really hard. She's a big physical player and I think Canadians are really gonna get behind her in the future hopefully you see more women's basketball available on bigger networks and that leads to her really building her startup. I could see her being a a Haley Wickenheiser type
1: in the future if she's given the opportunity to get the true spotlight. It's awesome to hear. And to start playing for the senior team at grade 12 is unreal. Does that put, that would put her at what? 17, 18? Yeah. Given that she's a, the athlete she is, it wouldn't surprise me
0: that they were giving her looks before that. It sounds like it was an ongoing conversation, and she just kind of forced her hand by that age. So that's a huge credit to her, and obviously her ability to compete and and continue to grow her game. And she's having this impact as a
1: freshman, so I think there's a, a lot of growth left for her. So there you have it. I guess we're just coming into the Sweet 16. We've got a few more rounds of the tournament. Hopefully the players that we picked will go far into the tournament. Their teams will keep getting those wins and get to the finals. But if you're watching the games, keep an eye out for those players because they're Canadians. They're playing, representing our country, even though it is college. There's still a sense of hometown pride no matter what what game you're playing. I think we have to do that for Canadians and other sports. If Canadians playing
0: U20 basketball or U19 basketball got as much attention as the World Juniors do in hockey, I think it would be huge for sports in general in Canada. And I think that's something that can be done and it just needs to be pushed forward. Uh, You can't even really watch the Women's World Junior Tournament on TV in hockey. So I think there's a huge problem there, and we need to figure it out because Canadians get behind Canadian athletes. And we love watching our players compete, but we can't watch them compete if you don't make it available. So I think we need to see these things become more available for Canadians to watch.
1: Yeah, I agree. And to that point, I think even trying to research some of these Canadian players, the men were a little bit easier because there's so much media attention around the men's teams. But trying to research the women's teams, it was there's not a lot of stats websites out there that track all of the women's stats. There's not a lot of stories written about them. It's not nearly the same as some of the men's teams, right? And that's just another discrepancy that we're seeing between the men's and women's games and honestly
0: i thought the information would be there i would just have to dig a little deeper and, and in reality the the information just isn't there in some players cases obviously i tried to highlight uh Ellie edwards because i thought you'd be able to see her play for a while but i did do some research on some other players uh, in the women's division and because they weren't as big of names and they didn't play for as big of schools, it was really hard to find some real solid info on them. And you listen to both of us talk about the accomplishments both our players had as far as representing Canada and, you know, putting their name out there, and it's still difficult to, to hear about them and to research about them. And there's something wrong there. Like, if this person's good enough to represent my country, I'd like to be able to support
1: them, but it, it shouldn't be this hard. No, it definitely shouldn't. So I guess that feels like a good time to transition over into hockey. And we've gone through the North Division and looked at each teams and kind of picked out a few trade targets for them for the deadline. Or for some teams, maybe they're not going to target a trade. Maybe they're going to stick around, but... Or maybe they're just going to stick it out with the team that they have. I don't know. What team do you want to start with, Brett?
0: Let's start with the Jets, actually. All right, that sounds good. So when I was doing my dive around the Jets and really kind of opening my eyes to their situation, there's actually a lot of Jets fans who think their whole decor is just hanging on to being NHL level. Like, I heard them people say that If they want to make a big run, they need to have three or four defensemen. Now, obviously, that's not attainable. I also don't think that's really the truth. I think uh, fans tend to be a little extreme, uh, especially being a Leafs fan. I've seen a lot of people be pretty extreme about sports. And the Canadian, any Canadian market isn't really any different. Obviously, there are some pieces in Winnipeg that I actually really like. Neil Peon, I think anybody would like to have him on their team. There's a lot of players like that, and and you just got to realize that sometimes sometimes your team is built differently than another team, and there's a lot of pieces in Winnipeg that other teams would like to have, so you need to be a little bit less hard on their D core, but that being said, I think D is their biggest hole.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, you look at their offense, and they have a lot of firepower up front. They've got a really dangerous offense that they've built, but their defense is definitely their weakest. Like, you've got Morrissey and Pionk are their two top defenders, and Morrissey is a really solid bottom-four defender, not a top-line defender, in my opinion. So looking around the league... Obviously, there's a lot of trade rumors out there. But the biggest ones that I'm seeing are Ekholm and Savard to go to Winnipeg. Now, with Ekholm, at first it sounded like Nashville was open to a trade. And now they've started to play a little bit better. And their price has just gone up and up and up. And I don't know that teams are willing to pay that for Ekholm.
0: No, I would agree with that. I'm not really sure that Ekholm's price is ideal, especially given the market and what COVID has done to owners willing to spend. That being said, if I'm Winnipeg, maybe I'm more likely to spend. Obviously, they're they're a new-ish franchise. You can't say they're new anymore, but they've been in the mix of being a really good team for a while. And I think you got to take a swing while you're a team worth taking a swing. And Eckholm might be a player that is the right fit for them. I think he definitely could be the right fit for them, actually. Uh, He plays very well on both sides of the puck. Nashville turns out tons of good defensemen all the time. Obviously, they've missed their window of being a competitive team. And I don't think Winnipeg wants to get into that conversation. And Echo might be the best opportunity for them because he's not going to be leaving at the end of the season. And by the sound of it, it's difficult to attract free agents in Winnipeg. I think it's made out to be a bigger problem than it is because I think you're crazy for not wanting to play on a team that good. But there are a lot of rumors that it's difficult to attract free agents out there. So that little bit of extra control you have with
1: Eckholm might mean a lot more to Winnipeg than it might mean to another team. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think from all the teams that I've looked at, I think Winnipeg would be the best fit for a guy like Eckholm. as much as I would love him to be on the Leafs, for sure. But I think that that's where he would have the greatest impact.
0: Actually, I'm a pretty big Savard fan, too, but I just, I, unless the Winnipeg Jets are, this is the year that they're going to go all in, and, and they think he can really put them to that next level, I think it is a little more concerning that he could move out at the end of the year. I also am a little bit concerned about taking players out of the system with torts. Uh, similar to when teams sign a goalie out of a really good system, you just never really know what you're getting. Maybe so far it has regressed, but you can't really see it uh, within the system that Columbus has played over the past couple years. I really like his game, but I'm always worried about taking players off a system team like that, that they're just not going to be able to have the same impact for me because they won't have that same structure. And he's just not one of those raw, intangibles guys where I'm like, doesn't matter what we do, if we bring this guy in, he's going to be that much better.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. It is a risk taking a guy away from a team that is a system team like that. But I would almost argue that Winnipeg is starting to run like a system team. They're a much more high offensive focus system team right now. But I think with a couple of extra defensive pieces like that, they could turn into a team that is very 200-foot focused.
0: I think they have the right pieces to to do that. Uh, That'll be up to Paul Maurice. And I think they do need a D. So if Savard is the guy that's available at the right price, I don't think he's going to be worse than guys you have in the lineup right now. I just don't know if he'll have the same impact that he's having in Columbus.
1: No, and I think that Ekholm would still have a significantly higher impact than Savard.
0: Oh, definitely. No no question.
1: So I guess that's that's our trade target for the Jets would be Ekholm or Savard. Do you want to oh, move? Do we want
0: to jump into Montreal for a bit?
1: That sounds good to me. I don't see Montreal doing very much.
0: No, and that's why I thought we'd kind of jump into it.
1: Yeah, like Bergevin has openly said, I don't have cap room right now. I don't think I'm going to make any moves. If they did anything, they maybe could go for like a depth bottom six guy. Maybe a depth defender. But I don't see that happening. I think they're just going to ride it out. They've got Sherat coming back or is injured right now, but... He'll be coming back just in time for playoffs, or he's he's scheduled to come back just in time for playoffs. So that will be a big push to their lineup if they can make it to the playoffs. So I think they're just going to ride it out this season, and then they've got a few guys coming off the books in the off season, like they've got. I think Tatar is off, off the books in the off season. Donal is, I think his contract yeah, expires. Contract
0: is expiring,
1: yeah. So that opens up some money, or an opportunity to re-sign them cheaper, or to shift things around for for Bergevin. And I think we're not going to see anything now, but I would be wouldn't be surprised if we saw a lot of motion in the off-season in Montreal.
0: Yeah, honestly, the biggest asks for Montreal is to see Mate seize the opportunity of Chara being out. live up to the potential that they they always thought he had i think he does he's definitely a different player than strut but i think that he can play within their lineup uh if he brings his a game you just need to see him take that next step as far as consistency there's talk that he wanted out at the start of the year but i don't think losing a guy like that is in the hab's best interest that being said like i was saying this is his time to take advantage of the opportunity of Chirot being out. There's going to be some minutes there, and can he take advantage of it? Can he be that player? Uh, I'm not saying that he slots in in the same spot Chirot was. I just want to see him take away some minutes that Chirot would have played and make it hard to take him out of the lineup when Sherat comes back. The biggest ask, if I the Montreal draw Canadians, is can we have bubble price back? They they need bubble Price so bad. He pushed them past the Penguins and put them in the playoffs. Their team is a lot better this year than it was last year, like by a mile. And that's hard for me to say as a Leafs fan. But I honestly like the team they have. If they can get to the playoffs, they're very well suited to play playoff-style hockey. I'm just concerned after what we saw with the Raptors and what we've seen with other COVID teams in the NHL, that they might come back and struggle, and there's no room for them to struggle. They need to come back, and they need to win games, and that means they need an A1 Price to come back and have an impact every night.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, and I really think if they can get Price back, they're not a bad team. They've got a a lot of young pieces that look pretty good and look like they've got a future. It's just a matter of whether Price can be a part of that future, and I don't know if he will at this point.
0: If everything goes well and they make it to the playoffs and Price plays the way Price can play, I'm actually really scared to match up against them, and they're going to match up against one of the top two teams in the North Division, given the fact that I don't think the playoffs are going to move around too much. They have the ability to knock off a team uh, like the Leafs or Winnipeg, if they play the right way, yep. I just don't know. There's there's a lot of ifs in that statement. And for Avs fans, I hope that I hope it works out. But there's a lot of concerns right now, and I think they just need to hold Pat and hope for the best.
1: Yeah, I agree. So speaking of teams that just need to hold Pat and hope for the best, let's take a look at Ottawa. <laughs> uh, I don't have them doing any moves. The only thing that I could maybe see Ottawa doing is if they could find a deal on a decent player with term, maybe they would chase after him, but I don't know if the right guy is out there for that this year.
0: So I honestly think that the best thing for them to do, like you said, is to stay on Pat. But I would also be... Answer the phone as much as possible, looking for a a guy who's maybe underperformed this year and an owner no longer wants to pay his contract. They have a lot of cap space, and a lot of their young guys aren't going to need to be signed for a bit. So if they could get a guy who's underperforming in this weird year that we're having up for a good price because an owner feels like he's not living up to his contract. That's something I would definitely be in the mix for as the Senators.
1: Well, then I wonder if that player could be someone like Subin. I know I heard that New Jersey was trying to dump his contract because he's at a $9 million contract, which is ridiculous for what he can do. But maybe Melnick is willing to pay the money. He's got the cap space. And I think Ottawa's defense could use a guy like that on their second pair.
0: Yeah, and that's something I would be interested in to find them. There's obviously a lot of prospects in New Jersey because they've been struggling the past couple years. So if you were able to get Subban and a piece, it wouldn't be the wrong idea because ultimately, he's been moved around enough times now that it's obvious that you can move his contract. And it might be a nice piece for them to have take a little bit of media attention off of their young guys and really just allow them to develop. Well, somebody like that, who obviously brings a lot of spotlight, he also takes spotlight off players that maybe you don't want to have that pressure right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'll be honest, I don't see New Jersey moving his contract, but. It, it's an option there in Ottawa, for sure.
0: Yeah, I also but I, I think we can probably both agree that I never really saw Nastro being able to get out from underneath this contract, but they did. That's so true. So maybe somebody else is willing to take that
1: waiver. And he does only have two years left on the contract, so if some of these young guys aren't up for a couple of years – by the time their contracts are up, they let Subban walk or trade him away at a deadline or something. Then, yeah,
0: maybe there is room cap for it. on his last year. Yeah. To make it more, more appetizing for another team. Look at us talking about Eugene Melnick spending extra money, though. <laughs> I'm not really sure that's gonna happen. No, I doubt that's gonna happen.
1: Although a guy like Subban does bring fans, even though you can't get to the arena but next year.
0: Then he can be tied, and if it goes really well, he can end up back in Belleville like old (laughs) times.
1: If it goes really poorly, I guess, not really well. All right, do you want to stay in Ontario and talk about the Leafs, or do you want to jump out west?
0: I think we toss the Leafs in the middle, and then everyone who's sick of hearing us ramble about the Leafs can just skip forward a couple minutes,
1: and they won't have to hear it. All right, sounds good. So I'm going to be honest. I have no clue what the Leafs are going to do. No clue at all. There's so many rumors out there and so much trade talk swirling. I'm wondering if they do nothing.
0: I can't see them doing nothing. I think there's too much pressure on Kyle Dubas for him to do nothing. I'm a little concerned that he's going to take too big of a swing because of that pressure. Uh, we've seen that happen to other GMs, and like the David Clarkson example for the Leafs, you just feel the pressure to make a big move, so you do it. And I'm a little concerned about that. There's obviously some guys that I that I like the idea of, uh, Nick Foligno, Marcus Granlin. Like we've been hearing those names a lot. We've heard the Leafs were in the mix for Marcus Granlin in the off season, and they couldn't get it done now his cap hits a little less because we're part of the way through the season. So I'm sure you can work out something with Nashville. They would probably make that work. I think it's ridiculous talking about upgrading the forward group on this team after all the years of talk about our subpar defense, that our defense is finally at a point where it's okay. And we're talking about upgrading our super powerful forward group. That kind of concerns me. I think that's just kind of how quickly the Toronto media changes. If I was the Leafs, I think I'd still want to add on the back end and maybe some depth in other places since uh, Vancouver's decided that the Leafs are going to help them build their bottom six. The Leafs obviously need a little bit of depth.
1: VC's playing on the second line right now. But I'm not
0: looking for a huge piece. Yeah, I saw that. I'm actually, for VC sake, I hope it works out really well. But yeah. he, he got a chance with arguably better players on the Leafs' second line, and I think he he played himself off that line more than he played, played enough to keep himself there. So uh, if I'm a Canucks fan, I'm a little concerned. If he can't play on the Leafs' second line with Tavares and Elander, can he play on their second line? I don't really think so. At least not for a long-term solution.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what's going to turn out. what Or what that's going to... What's going to happen with DC. But anyway, yeah, continue with what you're saying.
0: <laughs> no, I, I think that's basically it. I'm a little kind of surprised that we're talking about upgrading the forwards because the defense is finally okay. I think that the Leafs could use an upgrade in either spot, defense or forward, and I think you just got to find the most impactful piece that can fit within the calf constraints right now because there's a, a lot of different issues going with that. And I think the Leafs at this point basically need a rental.
1: Yeah, I think if they get anyone, it's going to just be a rental. I'm curious, though, if, I mean, obviously, we only have two games with Galchenyuk under our belt so far, but if he can continue to perform fairly well on that second line, and the thornton speza Kerfoot line seems to be performing pretty well in practice all week, they've been playing together and doing drills together and really trying to form some chemistry, then maybe we go for a cheaper option and just get a third-line guy that could slot in somewhere.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of a a solid case for that. A sold on Gelshaniak being able to continue doing what he's doing. Uh, But if he did, I would like to see him stay there. He's obviously got the elite level talent we've seen that on multiple occasions if he wants to go and try to be the poor man zach hyman and absolutely work his rear end off on that tavares nilander line i want him to stay there and obviously like you said super small sample size probably never gonna know until it's too late at this point, but yeah. He's playing really well. And similar to what we said to VC, like I think in Sheldon Keith's coaching career with the Leafs, we see that you basically have to play yourself out of where he put you. And if I'm Sheldon Keith, Joe Tanak isn't doing that right now.
1: No, not yet. I guess we'll we'll see tonight against Ottawa with Gilchenyuk playing back against his his old team. But, yeah, I'll be interested to see what he can do there. And I think for Toronto, see, I I don't want to put Granlund as my number one target, though. That's the problem. I, I think Granlund should be a secondary target for the Leafs. Who's your number one target? (laughs) <laughs> that's a really tough question. <laughs> There's a few guys I would love to see. I'd love to see Felino. I don't know that we have the cap space for that. I would love to see a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi come to the Leafs. I don't know if the price would be right from Detroit, but I think he's a player that has the skill, of, like the offensive skill, but then is also not afraid to bang bodies and, we've seen how important that is with the Leafs this year with Simmons out and they kind of didn't have that gritty presence at all. I think he's a guy that could slot in on that second line with Tavares and Nylander. If you need, Yeah, I him don't to. know
0: if you would agree, but I would say that like when Wade Simmons is in the lineup, the mojo of the Leaf players is completely different.
1: I totally agree with that. They just have they play with a lot more heart. Like they're they're having so much more fun out there with him.
0: I also feel like all of a sudden guys on our team are more physically imposing because they feel like they have a little backup out there. Justin Hall plays entirely different for the Toronto Maple Leafs when Wayne Simmons is in the lineup, and I think it has a lot to do with that. Yeah, he feels more willing to mix it up when he knows there's someone else out there who would protect him or stand up for him if it absolutely needed to happen. He feels more willing to take that risk.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's now, I would, how do you
0: feel about all the Nick Folino stuff?
1: I would love to see him be a leaf. I think that he he would be probably my number one target if we could figure out the cap space situation. That's the biggest thing, because he's at, what, 5 mil right now? I think?
0: Yeah, I think you're right around there.
1: So, I don't know how we could make that work right now, but I've heard a few rumors from semi-credible sources, like I've seen Sportsnet articles and stuff, that Dubas has been talking to third-party teams to try to get a third-party team to take cap space for a prospect. So pay some of, say, a guy like Felino's salary, give them a prospect, and then give Columbus a prospect and something else to get Felino. which I think that would be interesting. It's not often you see that in hockey, those basketball-type deals where it's, I mean, you see three-way deals occasionally, but not where it's just for cap space like that and I think that's where Brendan Pridham comes in in his wisdom of the cap and how and the whole the system of how the NHL works he could make something like that work if anyone was going to I think it would be Dubas and Pridham
0: I also think the Leafs uh, with how much money that is in the MLSC they're more willing to take a run at this year's playoffs I think they know that they can get out of the Canadian division without facing Tampa or Boston, which they would have had to do in the normal alignment. So I think they see a window of opportunity here. That's why I'm not necessarily one of those guys that thinks they're not going to make any more moves because there's definitely a window of opportunity there. and They have the right minds to make it happen. They put a cap in the NHL as far as players. They didn't put a cap on the front office, and the Leafs have have done their best trying to take advantage of that. And that speaks to what you were saying there a second ago.
1: Yeah, and I think it does help Dubas now that today we had the news break that it's likely only going to be a seven-day quarantine period. All of the provinces in Canada have said yes to it, so it's just up to the federal government to accept it. Which it sounds very likely that they're going to. So that does, that helps because it takes the North deadline from essentially being this week to giving the North an extra week before they have a pseudo deadline, right?
0: Yeah. And honestly, I think the deadline could be kind of interesting this year. People keep saying it's going to be really quiet because of COVID. I honestly see there being some sellers that move pieces that you didn't expect them to sell on in order to save money. I think there could be more big names moves this year. Uh, maybe not necessarily the Canadian teams, but
1: just around the league. Yeah, I think we could see that. Although realistically, what what's tough about this year is when you look at the league, I really only see five or six teams that are likely sellers. And then there's a few teams that are like, that are maybe sellers.
0: Yeah, a lot of the, you're right about that. There is a lot of divisions that are really
1: tight. Yeah, that wouldn't otherwise be as tight in a normal year. No, definitely not. All right, so let's keep moving out west then. We'll move on. We talked Winnipeg. Let's go through on to Calgary. So looking at Calgary's lineup, I think the biggest position that I can see them having a need for is right wing. I think that their defense is half-decent. Their left wing is pretty solid. It's their right wing where they've got some weakness, and they have Dylan Dubé on their top line. Like, he's a good player, but you're telling me you can't improve that? Right down to Josh Levo being on their fourth line right now. I think that there's a lot of room for improvement on that right wing, whereas the left wing has Goudreau to chuck Lou Cheech, like there's there's less room there. So if I'm Calgary, I'm going after a right winger. So well, honestly,
0: I'm kind of a Josh Levo fanboy like I can't get over the fact that he's not a skilled NHL player. I I watched him a lot coming up because he was a Leafs prospect and uh, throughout high school I was way deeper into prospect depth charts and Stuff guys did. And this guy scored at basically every level except the NHL. And I keep thinking, oh, like, this is the time he's going to stay healthy and, and he's going to be that guy. But that window's really starting to close. I thought Calgary was his last chance, and he hasn't really taken advantage of it. The only thing for me is, yes, that's where Calgary could upgrade. But they're kind of falling out of the conversation for me. Really? I just, like, every time I think that they should be able to string a couple games together, something goes wrong. They've lost two straight against Ottawa's fourth string goalie at this point. I really thought Sutter was going to come in and right the ship and force them to play a different style hockey. But they need two goals against, or less, to win a game right now. And in this year's North Division, you better be breaking a lot in order to make that happen.
1: That's true, yeah. It is very tough right now in the North. There's a lot of offensive power.
0: My other big problem with the Flames, I guess, is that I'm not really sold on Sean Monahan being a true number one center. I think that he showed that at different points in his career, but the consistency is just not there. Realistically, when you split up Monaghan and Goudreau, Goudreau still has an impact, but you lose Monaghan in the shuffle, basically. Yeah, I don't know fair. what what's going to go on with that, but I think that they're kind of falling into... A situation of the Leafs a couple years ago, where if they had that true number one center, they're actually a really good team. They have good depth. They have some interesting players with some interesting skill sets. But I just they're missing some pieces that are huge. And I thought they got some of those pieces in Tanev and Markstrom, and we're watching them do the same thing they've been doing for the past couple years, which is being an all-right team or being a team people thought were pretty good and then underperforming. And you added these players and nothing really changed. So I think the problem with them is something that's been around for a while. And I think that is coming out to be more of a lack of a number one center conversation.
1: I think you could be you could be right there actually. When you mentioned like the the Leafs of a few years ago, that does really make sense on on in that sort of conversation of. I mean, I, I would say Monahan is better than like a Bozak, but similar scenario for sure. So saying that, then oh, a
0: hundred percent. I think a lot of teams would want Sean Monahan, but I just I don't know that he's a
1: number one center, right? So do you think they would go after a, a number one center on the deadline or are they just going to ride out the season then? What do you think?
0: Is it really possible to go after a number one center? Like
1: that's true. I guess you could go after you could go after Jack
0: Eichel, but what are you going to offer in that deal? And if you have to offer Johnny Goudreau, is your team taking a big enough step backwards that it's kind of a wash. i don't
1: I don't know. Who did you kind of think should be their targets? I was looking at that right wing. I think obviously a cheap option and a guy that I liked that could really bolster their third or fourth line is Bobby Ryan. I've heard that he might might be on the trading block this year because he is a, a free agent at the end of the year and he's only on a million dollar contract. He hasn't performed as well as he could this year but he brings a lot of maturity and character, and I think he's the kind of guy that would play well under the Sutter ideals. And he brings that character that guys like Goudreau could look at and get a lot out of playing with a guy like him. The other guy that I was looking at that might be able to make a difference on their lineup but also really might not, (laughs) he's kind of been up and down over his career, is Sam Reinhardt. I've always been hopeful for this guy to really take off and be a really good player. I think he showed a lot of potential as a young guy. And then he got stuck on Buffalo and hasn't been able to make anything of himself. But I think throwing him on a second line with Goudreau or Tuchak, there's a chance that he can really find his game. And could really perform well, and he's a guy that he's a free agent at the or he's a free agent or an RFA at the end of the year, and he's only on a three point five million dollar contract. So you can still sign him fairly cheap. You might be able to get him for four, four, four point five mill, which I don't know what Calgary's cap space is like right now, but if they could afford a guy like him, I think he's a guy that could boost that lineup more than just this year, he's more of a, a long-term guy that you would want to re-sign.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think actually he's a pretty good Sutter-style player.
1: He's a yeah. little bit slower, but he's
0: skilled. He can be a little bit physical. He came out of the dub, which isn't the most skilled league. It's pretty straight-line physical hockey, obviously. The dub isn't what it used to be, but hockey isn't what it used to be. So it's still one of the grittier junior leagues as far as major junior goes. I know that's a long time ago, but this guy kind of does play a little bit of Sutter-style hockey. He really has an impact in front of the net. And I think that is a good point that he's a good player and he probably deserves a chance outside of Buffalo. And his price tag can't be all that high because you can't sit there and say, but he's too good, or the Buffalo Sabres wouldn't be so bad.
1: No, and if they're if Buffalo willing to move Eichel, they have to be willing to move Reinhardt. Like, I just don't see them shut or rejecting a trade for Reinhardt.
0: Well, I mean, here's the question for for me to you, I guess, is like I've been hearing a lot about how all these players on Buffalo are actually. Way better than they're playing right now, and I'm starting to be not so sure that that's possible. How can Jack Eichel be one of the best centers in the league, and how can Rasmus Ristolainen be one of the best shutdown guys in the league, and how can Ryan Hart be one of the best net front presences in the league, and Taylor Hall be such an elite goal scorer, and it all just doesn't work. i I just don't get it like one something doesn't add up there because I just named off a bunch of players who are supposedly right at the top level of NHL quality players, and their
1: team has been bad so bad over the last couple of years. yep, and I think that's a question that Kevin Adams, I think is their GM has probably been asking himself over and over again at night when he's trying to go to sleep is what's wrong with this team? They should be good. And that's a question that a lot of Buffalo Sabres fans are asking too. And I don't necessarily know the answer. Because um, I'm be honest, as a Leafs fan, I,
0: I want Rasmus Rich to But, like, how can all these guys – how can he be that good? if they're so bad.
1: Yeah, the same with with Darlene. Something
0: doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, like that's a guy that bring up my list. Like, he's a first overall pick. People were saying that he was like Paul Coffey and Listerl put together. And like the first Eric Carlson to be drafted to be an Eric Carlson type player. And like no impact yeah as far as turning their franchise around
1: yeah and i don't know that there's a way to answer the question of why until we've seen these players play for a different team and have a chance to try and make something of their careers and they're running out of time like it's got to be soon for some of these guys eichel's been in the league for what six years now yeah, if he wants to
0: go down as, as a really good American player, one of the best, which when he came in, I thought he could. He needs to move on, and he needs to start having an incredible career from here on out.
1: Yeah. So another guy that I had on my list as a possibility for Calgary was Paul Mary. He's another guy that plays a Sutter-style game. I could see him fitting in as just a rental this year.
0: Yeah, he has he has a lot of intangibles too. He can play a little bit of penalty kill. He can score, like you said, Sutter style game, which basically means he can't skate at a high level <laughs> NHL uh, high NHL level, but we won't go there. We'll just let it. At Sutter style game. That's another guy where he's supposed to be really good. But he's been in New Jersey, and things in New Jersey haven't been going well. I'd like to see him leave and see if he is the player that people think he is. And Calgary would be a great fit. and get lots of opportunity to prove that he is that player.
1: Yeah. So I would say my number one target for Calgary, though, would be Reinhardt. I would like to see him slot into that team. I think he would be a good fit for that team.
0: Yeah, they did really well with Lindholm, bringing him out of Carolina and, and having him have more of an impact for them than he'd had previously. If they could do the same thing with Reinhardt, they'd be really on to something. And I think it's totally attainable, like we were saying. Nobody on the Sabres should be that untouchable. So if you put together the right package, you could have Sam Reinhardt for the stretch drive if you're the
1: Calgary place. All right, let's stay in Alberta. Let's go over to Edmonton. What do the Oilers need? Uh,
0: So I actually don't want to be too hard on the Oilers because they're right in the mix of the Canadian division right now. So, like, I think it's ridiculous of me to sit here and say they need some of the things I think they need. Like, I think they need about three defensemen and an entire bottom six. But they're also proving to me that they don't need that be successful so maybe I'm wrong maybe they're right that being said I do think they need to add uh, some pieces that can play with their high level players they could add a little more depth defensively just to kind of get them through you can assume that nurse is going to continue to play at this level uh, because he was starting to break out last year you're really seeing a breakout this year but Injuries do happen, and, and I think the Oilers need to do their best to maximizing their window with dry side Olympic David. So I think you just pick up depth all over this organization and do your best to just get a little bit stronger. These guys are showing that they, your team doesn't need to be too deep for them to make them competitive. So I think you just make slight improvements all over the place, and hopefully you can do... You're the best you can in playoffs.
1: Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I don't think they need a big blockbuster deal. I think they need a lot of small things. One guy that I was looking at that I think would fit Edmonton really well is Miles Wood. I think that his play style, like I think you said it in a couple episodes ago, is similar to like a Zach Hyman, not, obviously not quite at the same skill level, but that sort of hard work, intangible qualities that could add a lot to their bottom six, and then over time poss- possibly add to their top six if he progresses the way that he could. On top of that, the guy is kind of a Leafs killer, so in the North Division,
0: that might be something worth looking into. I don't think... The price is going to be too high, and he just seems to be great against the Leafs every time they play. Uh, and he brings things that the Leafs don't match up well against, and that's a team you're probably going to look at matching up against in the North Division playoffs. So,
1: it's definitely a guy that I'd be looking into if I was the Oilers. Yeah, and he's his cap hits only 2.75 million this this year. You still have him locked in for next year. He's not a free agent until the end of next season. So you've got time to sort of see if he fits and then move him if he doesn't because thats I'm sure he's a guy a lot of teams would be interested in. But yeah, I would say he would be my number one target for Edmonton because, like you said, they don't need a big blockbuster move. They need a lot of little pieces. And he's just a really high-quality little piece that could be added Plus, having a guy like that locked into a contract makes them less likely to steal Hyman from us.
0: Well, that's just it. Uh, honestly, like you said, Miles Wood is pretty low risk because I think there's a lot of teams who would like to add a guy like that. So for some reason, he didn't work out in Edmonton. I don't think you're going to have a hard time moving on from him. He's got a small cap hit. Also, you've seen McDavid play really well with those types of players. Pat Maroon and Connor McDavid had unreal chemistry. He needs straight line, simple players who keep their stick on the ice and get open for him. I think that's something Miles Wood would be the perfect example of and a little bit younger than Maroon, so you could see it being more sustainable.
1: Yeah, more of a long-term solution. Yeah, you've
0: seen spurts where McDavid's really good with Zach Cassian. So... I think he plays really well with those simple, straight line, a little bit of an edge, maybe kind of power forward style players. So why not build on that
1: with a guy like Miles Wood? Yeah, and he's cheap too, and that's going to be big because they're probably going to want to re-sign Barry, and Barry's going to want a payday. Nugent Hopkins is up at the end of the year and they're probably going to re- re- want to re-sign him and he's already getting paid 6 million so if he wants a raise then that's even more money um and I just I look at their cap situation coming up over the next few years and if you can get a good deal on a guy like Miles Woods I think that could be an important piece for you moving forward I think he adds a little bit more grit to their lineup which is huge
0: when you're protecting big assets, like Seidel and McDavid. I've also heard a little bit that Zach and might end up in uh, Seattle, so you do probably need
1: a contingency plan of, of a guy who could protect those guys. Right. Yeah. So is there is there one guy that you would look at for Edmonton?
0: Another guy I think that uh, could be interesting for the Oilers is a guy like Tyler Myers, who's kind of started to struggle with Vancouver because of the role he's put in, and uh, he he never really had that high-end speed. And their team's become a team where they kind of need him to have that, and he doesn't have that fit. He's obviously got a bigger cap hit than than I think it'd be super easy for them to handle, but I'm sure they could find a way to make it work. It adds them a righty with some size. A little bit of experience former rookie of the year uh he obviously hasn't necessarily lived up to that but he brings a lot of things that uh you'd like to see in a defenseman he adds uh like i said earlier some size and some grit their depth in the back end just isn't really at the level that that they needed to be i think to go deep in the playoffs this might be your uh, ability to jump on a guy like that that might not have been available if the Canucks were playing well. But because they're not, and because he's an older guy who's taking a little bit of heat in the market right now, he could be available, and I think he would play a way simpler game in Edmonton, which would lend a hand to what he's trying to do and allow him to be more effective. He seems like he's just kind of running around like a chicken with his head cut off in a Canucks uniform this year. Try to make things happen because they thought they were going to be a better team and they're not. I think he'd be the perfect guy to go in there and kind of reestablish himself, while well, adding a
1: little bit of veteran presence and some things that the Oilers don't have. I could see the Oilers going after a defenseman. I don't know if Myers is the guy. I think he's. On the back end of his career, he went to Vancouver to try and reinvent himself, and we didn't see that. We saw him falter in Winnipeg and lose a step there, and I don't see him as a...
0: I'm not sure that he's the perfect option, but last year when Vancouver was playing well, there were a lot of Canucks fans that really liked him. And I think that's because his mistakes are a lot less highlighted when your team's performing. And I think that like we said, the Oilers have some guys that really have underperformed for their whole career. You got this William Laguson, who who I just kinda heard about last, last week. I like I don't even know who that guy is. And that's a problem on a decor that already doesn't have a star. So I think maybe Tyler Myers isn't the perfect fit but he's he'd be affordable to get for a team that doesn't have a ton of assets from yeah. a struggling Vancouver team and he might actually bring some things to a playoff team that you would want and on a team that can score like that, him missing a step a little bit might actually, not come into the media attention as much. Honestly, a guy with that kind of size and the length of a stick, he's always, always going to be an asset on the penalty kill. That's something the Oilers need. I just think he kind of adds some things that they definitely do need, and he shouldn't be that hard to acquire based on some of the things you were saying. A lot of people think it's just over and he's passed his prime and blah, blah, blah but yeah. I think it's kind of falling into the same thing with Chara that we talked about at the beginning of the year. The guy's lost a step. Yeah, but he could never really skate and we all thought he was an effective NHL
1: player. Yeah, that's true. And I could see I mean Vancouver would be happy to dump his salary too. They're they're pretty tight right now, so
0: I also think they're tied up in them for like three or four years. Yeah. So, And honestly, the Oilers look like one of those teams that maybe they can make that work. Also, it's maybe a trade that they're less willing to make in a regular year. But I think all the Canadian teams see an opportunity here. So I think there might be a little more risk aversion as far as uh, guys being able to reach a little bit thinking that they can definitely get through the North Division. And from then on out, we've all seen that as long as you're there, you have a chance to win the
1: Stanley Cup. Yeah, definitely. All right, so last team in the North. Let's talk about Vancouver. We just mentioned that they're pretty tight to the cap. What could they do? So I honestly think that
0: they might just need to hold Pat and take a deep breath and let this season ride. They obviously had high hopes coming into last season. They played really well. They were the last Canadian team in the playoffs. I'm going to say that I was surprised. I think a lot of people are surprised. were surprised at the time. But that being said, when your team goes to the playoffs, you do – you know, believe that they can probably go back next year. I'm not really sure that that's going to happen this year. Thatcher Demko is playing out of his mind. If he can keep doing that, they can go to the playoffs. But I was reading Tony it down the other day, and he's making something like 96 and three quarters percent of the high danger saves right now. And if he plays at that level for even four years in his career, you can make a case that he's the best goalie ever to play in the NHL. Yeah, I don't so think, I,
1: I, I just don't think it's sustainable. No, that's exactly what I was just about to say. Yeah, I don't think it's sustainable. I think he's playing above his average right now, like, well above his average. And... It's going to fall eventually. And I, like we saw it at the start of the season, he wasn't. He, I think at the start of the season, he was playing slightly below his average. I don't think we've seen his average yet. We've seen below and way above. We haven't seen hit what he brings as a consistent goaltender yet. Honestly, like I, I don't want any
0: Canucks fans thinking that That's Thatcher Demko hate. I actually think he's going to be a great goalie. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure on him to take the net this year. They brought in Holtby as an insurance policy. He basically said, that was a waste of your time because I'm your guy now. And I think that's going to be how it goes for the rest of the year. But just the level he's got to play at. And Elias Patterson being injured, even though he – Hasn't quite played up to what we expect from him
1: this year. I think that's just too much for the Canucks to overcome. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they're if they do anything, it's not for this year. It's for future proofing. Um, and to that point, I I was reading, actually, just earlier today, that right now, if you look at Vancouver's team, they have what maybe four or five players that they're actually going to protect everyone else they might leave open for the expansion draft so that gives them an opportunity to look around the league and look at very at offensively deep teams like uh, carolina or philadelphia who is semi-deep and pick off some of the players that would otherwise be open to the expansion draft because then vancouver can protect them So they're not going to change their top six, but they might be able to get a few guys that could slot into their bottom six. And I think we've already seen Benning try and do that by stealing guys from the Leafs off waivers with Travis Boyd and Jimmy Vesey, right? So there is an option there if they can find the money for a cheap guy. Like Carolina, I was looking, might not be able to protect a guy like Jesper Fast or Philadelphia might not be able to protect a guy like Abe Kubel. I don't know if I said his name right, but so if Vancouver can go in and kind of go, "Hey, you're probably going to lose that guy anyways. Why don't we why don't we give you this pick or whatever? We'll give you a third-round pick and we'll take him off your hands." That's the only real move that I could see Benning maybe doing. But the fact that he's already taken two depth guys like that, I don't know if he's going to be able to take any more or want to even take any more. The
0: other thing I, I think that we're going to see is teams are going to be more willing to trade with each other than be held at ransom by the expansion team. I think that rubbed a lot of GMs the wrong way. What well, Vegas did and now how successful they are. I think teams are going to be more willing to trade with other existing teams than get held for ransom. Uh, by Seattle, and then have Seattle end up being more successful than their own team. Yeah. Like, yeah. if I'm the Leafs or I'm Philadelphia, and I think I have some assets that I don't want to lose to Seattle, I'm way more willing to trade with another established team than I am to, to make some sort of deal with Seattle for them not to take a guy that I want that I don't want them to take because of uh, all the different circumstances. Like, Vegas got Shea Theodore in exchange for them not taking Lindholm. And if I'm Anaheim, I want Shea Theodore, he can have Lindholm. Yeah. And they still had they still lost another guy. Like I forget who the guy that they actually had picked was, but they said, Here's Shea Theodore in exchange for not taking so and so. Plus, they still still lost a guy.
1: Yeah, they lost a depth guy.
0: So, like, I don't think teams are going to be willing to do that this time. And uh, I think Edmonton and Vancouver are actually really poised to take advantage of that. I also like some of the core pieces of Vancouver. I think they just need to get out from underneath some of those bad bottom six contracts that they signed. and.
1: And move forward. Definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. Completely. Bo Horvat
0: is super slept off as yep. far as like being one of the best second-line centers in the entire NHL. And Elias Patterson come out of nowhere to be an elite center in the NHL. Obviously, they like more from Jake Virtanen, but they have Quinn Hughes. They have a lot of pieces that I think other teams would want to have. I'm also a huge JT Miller guy. Like, that actually looked like the worst trade ever because I didn't think Vancouver was going to be very good. And they give up a first-rounder for JT Miller. And then they end up making the playoffs, and it's not really a big deal. He ends up being a good player. I don't know if you could have picked a guy that good with their pick. So, Vancouver's actually done some smart things. And Jim Benning isn't as bad of a GM as Vancouver's making him out to be just because he signed some bottom six guys to contracts that were a little bit rich. Yeah. I would agree with that. Honestly, if I'm, if I just want to say quickly while we wrap up this segment that if I'm a fan of any of these Canadian teams, I wouldn't give up on the playoffs just yet. Montreal went down with COVID. That obviously opens up a spot for somebody underneath them. Maybe it doesn't, but it looks like an opportunity right now. So if I'm the Flames or the Canucks, uh, my hopes are still up to be a playoff team. Montreal's obviously played really well, and if they can come back from COVID, they're in a playoff spot right now, so they... Have the ability to also hold that spot and continue to have a surprising run this year. I think they're a team pretty well built for the playoffs. So I think everybody is in the mix to be a really good team if they get into the playoffs. So there's a lot. There's going to be a playoff worthy team miss the playoffs in the North Division this year.
1: Yeah, with I think
0: doubt. that some of the teams they're having a a division is, and it might be a disappointing year for a Canadian fan base. I think it'll also be an unreal year for whatever Canadian fan base comes out of the North Division. Uh, Obviously, fans, fans, you really don't have a shot at the playoffs this year, but based on some of the things we talked about with these other Canadian teams, some of the assets that you've acquired and players that you have coming up, You look like you're going to be in a position to be competitive for a long time when all these players start coming through. So uh, don't lose too much sleep over it. Uh, When you're winning Stanley Cups years from now, none of this is going to matter. You've got some really good players. Timothy Stutzel's on Jake Sanderson looks like a stud. You already have Shabbat. You got a lot of good things going on and, Obviously, you got a tough go this year in this deep Canadian division. It might end up paying off because you're going to get a higher draft pick than you would have got in a normal uh, division alignment. So this might be huge for you guys. Keep your heads up. And that's the wrap-up of our North
1: Division wish list. All right. Sounds good. So why don't we move into our first compelling Canucks story. Uh, So you picked this one, so I'll let you start it off. Uh,
0: Leah Fernandez, she's obviously had uh, a big breakout tournament most recently this week. So she's only 18 years old. She captured her first WTA Tour title. She's been in the finals before. She lost. This is a huge step for her. She's young. I know as Canadian sports fans, we're a little concerned about Good young female tennis players. Uh, We seem to have a little bit of bad luck with that. But there's a lot of them right now, so I think that's something we need to look forward to. It's crazy to me that there's professional players right now. They're born in 2002, but that's when she's born, making me feel a little bit old. She is Canadian, but her father's from Ecuador, She's from a really talented family. Her younger sister is also a tennis player and her older sister is a dentist. So sounds like they're more intelligent and athletically gifted than the both of us. So this is quite the family and I'm excited to hear what else you have to talk about.
1: Yeah, I got to say, I, I, I did some research research into her story and who she is and where she came from. Cause it, it seems like for me, when she just won the Monterey Open, she really just popped onto the scene and had never heard her name before, didn't know anything about her. So I thought I'd do a bit of a dive and look into, it, into who she was. And she's kind of nobody. And that's what I really enjoy about her story is that she is coming from essentially nothing. She's just she liked to play tennis growing up and got really good at it. Her dad is her coach still to this day, even though he's a, a soccer player and knew nothing about tennis growing up. He would watch videos of Serena Williams and try and learn her game so that they could go to the tennis court and he would teach her how to play like Serena Williams and but adjust it to her size because that's the thing with her. She's only five foot four. So right now in the tennis world, the top 20 women, 16 of them are over 5 foot 9. For a little while now tennis has been geared towards the length and the strength and we saw that with the Williams sisters. They're just these Amazonian women that are like really strong and Fernandez is coming in and she's the exact opposite. She's tiny, so she's really had to adjust her game. And it's kind of cool, the story that I read about how her dad worked with her to get her better. And, And the story essentially is that when he was coaching her, he really was focused on the mental game and the fortitude of, I can do this, I can play this game, I can play against these bigger women, to the point where... When she was nine years old, she played against, or she was playing tennis against six foot four muscular basketball players. And that was intentional by her dad to instill in her that look, tennis isn't a physical game. Their size doesn't matter. What matters is that you're a smarter player and you're a faster player and you're a more agile player. And he really built that into her game. And we're really seeing that as she's playing now is that she's able to control her shots a lot better rather than just hit it as fast as she can, which is what we see with some of the larger tennis players.
0: I also think that that's huge. Like just players that have that mental toughness from a young age, it's something they can always have. They always carry it with them. And, It's difficult to develop if you've always been the best player. It's difficult to develop if you just had a ton of natural talent and you went out there and you played tennis and you didn't think about it too much and you just dominated your competition until you got to the pro level of any sport. So when someone has that instilled in them, For a long period of time, it's something they carry through their whole career. And no matter how good she gets, and I have high hopes based on what she's done so far, that she will continue to have that mentality. And it's something that once you have it, you have it for life. And it sounds like she has a great building block and a great support system
1: that's going to allow her to continue to do that. Yeah, and the fact that she's only 18 is huge too. Like there's so much room to develop when you're that young. It seems crazy, but in 2019, <laughs> like it's so such a short time ago, she was 16 and in that in that tennis season, she got to the finals of the Junior Australian Open and she won the Junior French Open. And I think that's huge cuz those are two of the biggest tournaments and and yeah, obviously she was they were the junior tournaments, but like to to go in and win and final and be a finalist in two of the biggest tennis tennis tournaments in the world at 16 years old really shows how much potential she has and the fact that now she's winning regular non non junior tennis tournaments and she's only 18 I think there's a good chance that we've got years to watch her grow and become an even better tennis player.
0: The other thing about tennis when I was doing a little bit of research is it's not that difficult to get into. And I think a lot of people, especially coming out of COVID, it's going to be difficult to put your kids in certain sports if you've been struggling financially over the past couple of years. And I think tennis has has an open door there that, isn't necessarily fully explored by Canadians. And one thing I know for sure about tennis is that a lot of people use tennis as their cardio for another sport. Hockey players, baseball players, football players are like, yeah, I play tennis on the weekends. You know, it just keeps me sharp, keeps me in shape. It's a new skill. I just kind of work on it, blah, blah, It's something I do with my buddies. and." I think that's huge. I think seeing these Canadian um, Canadians be successful in tennis, especially at a young age, is going to open a door there. It's going to allow people to see uh, what you can really do. Obviously, not everybody's going to be as good as uh, Fernandez. She's doing a great job, and she, like you said, she she has some assets that not everybody has. Your parents can instill that in you all they want, but it's something you have to choose to embrace. And clearly, based on her results, she's cho- she's chosen to embrace this and and thrive in that underdog role and be like, I'm going to be smarter than you. I'm going to out-compete you. It's not about your strength. It's about how much more intelligent I'm going to be and um, the fact that I'm going to put you situations on the court that you don't want to be in like I was saying at the start we're seeing a lot of women coming to tennis out of Canada and really uh, compete at a high level and and grab some headlines and I just want to see that continue to grow I think Canadians need to step outside of some of our traditional sports and the more and more people we have being successful the further that's going to go.
1: Yep, and I think Fernandez is a great role model for people to look up to, especially based on the fact that she didn't have a traditional tennis coach. She didn't pay the thousands of dollars to get the professional training. She just trained with her dad, who watched YouTube videos and learned how to play tennis. Right? It really does show that anybody that's willing to put in the work and put in the time and really learn the game to the extent that she has learned it can go far it doesn't take all like thousands of dollars in professional training it really doesn't it just takes the right mindset and
0: and the right commitment level and i think you just got to continue to have the skill sets that are going to allow you to push forward like that. Not everybody has those. Not everybody has that mindset and it comes down to putting in the time and putting in the hours. A lot of people can't compete at a super high level um, for a long period of time. And that's what it takes to get to that next level and be an elite level player. And, continue to build on that throughout your career, that's how you become successful. We've heard lots of things like the Mamba mentality. Well, reality is that's just being obsessed with the game until you are the best. And you're seeing a lot of young people really take that philosophy and run with it and make themselves successful.
1: Yeah. And I think that Fernandez is a perfect example to be our first compelling Canuck because Like Throughout the the 10 episodes of this podcast so far, we've really focused on the story behind the game. It seems to just be a theme that comes up throughout the podcast, and her story is fantastic. I think that she's got a long future, and I am excited to watch her grow into an even better tennis player, and she's got aspirations of going to the Tokyo Olympics this summer, So hopefully she's a player that we'll be able to watch represent our country at the Olympics this year. The other thing I do like about tennis, and it's super
0: available both the men's and the women's. Like when you get to those big events, you can watch the men just as easily as you can watch the women. And like you were saying about underlying things in our podcast, that's something we talk about is the fact that not always are women's sports given the same light, but I find it easier to find women's games in tennis because there are those big personalities. There have been the Williams sisters and stuff that has attracted and, attention.
1: Yeah, so all the way back, uh, from, um, all the way back to like Billie Jean King in the '80s, right? She really started that movement for women's tennis.
0: And, and I, I just think it's something, um, as far as Canadians go, tennis is something that we can, we can definitely do. Like, it's not one of those things where, you know, our weather's not perfect for it or this or that or whatever. You can play tennis inside. You can, you know, play on all these different types of courts. There's lots of ways to make it work. I feel like Canadians sometimes have disadvantages becoming successful in certain sports the same they have advantages in becoming successful in other sports because of our winter climate but this is a super accessible sport where as a young woman you can see other women being successful uh, fairly easily and the barriers to entry aren't as high as some other sports so I really think that what you've been seeing in tennis over the past couple of years is something you're going to continue to see. If so many young Canadian women continue to be so successful, you're going to just hear more and more names because it's something that Canadians are starting to embrace. And like I was saying earlier about how Canadians love to see Canadians be successful and support them, we've seen that with Eugenie Bouchard. And and I think that speaks to Canadians are. And... Fernandez has a chance to be that. Be that Canadian. We all get behind. I'm going to turn on the tennis match, and I'm going to watch her compete because she embodies the Canadian spirit of just finding a way to win. And from everything you highlighted about her relationship with her father and, and this and that, or that's what Canadians embrace, is the battle and the compete and being a proud Canadian and doing whatever it takes to win and she really has the the intangibles that make her one of those people that Canadian sports fans will embrace if she continues
1: on this path. Yeah, and to that point, I've never I had never really sat down and watched a tennis match before until Bianca Andreescu came on the scene. Like she was her personality and her charm and just her her like enjoyment of the game has it makes you want to watch the sport. And I think we're going to start seeing more and more of those types of athletes come out of Canada and it's really exciting. So why don't we move into our players of the week, which I think we've both also picked Canadian players of the week to stick with the Canadian theme of the episode. So uh, actually Layla Annie
0: Fernandez is my player of the week. I I couldn't be more I couldn't be any more impressed with what she's done. Uh, we did a lot of highlighting about you know who she is and what makes her a uh, great Canadian. But I just like to take another second to say, you know, even if this is one of the peaks in her career, because there are a lot of professionals in tennis that kind of mill around in the middle and make a good living I I think it's important to embrace other uh, Canadians when they are super successful at their given sport so my
1: player of the week is Lele Fernandez perfect and my player of the week I'm going to go back to hockey a little bit but I'm sticking with a good Canadian hockey player and that's gonna be Colton Ellis. So it's a name you've probably never heard of, but you're gonna hear a lot of. I mark my words, this guy is gonna go far. Right now he's playing in the QMJHL and he's my player of the week because he just broke the QMJHL career shutout record and is one game away from breaking the QMJHL season shutout record, which right now is held by Roberto Luongo. And what I find crazy about that is that he's played a shortened season. They haven't played a full season. This year, he's got seven shutouts in 20 games, which is ridiculous. (laughs) I know, obviously, the QMJHL isn't quite the same level of hockey as even the AHL. It's still junior hockey, but this kid's got a lot of potential. And I wouldn't be surprised if he is the next up-and-coming goaltender He's already signed a three-year deal with the Blues. He's been drafted by the Blues. So that's perfect timing for him to slot into the AHL once he gets a little older. And as Bennington starts to age out, maybe he's the next guy that they just put right into the lineup. And I am really excited to see this kid develop. So honestly,
0: like you said, that's super stunning. A guy in a shortened season – chasing a record like that. I I don't think anyone really expected very many records to be broken this year. So that's crazy. Um, He's a 20 year old goalie. So he probably has an overage season in the QMJHL coming unless St. Louis is super for sure that he's ready to be an AHL goalie. But reality is there's nothing wrong with letting a guy continue to be a starter at the junior level give him a full season really build up that cardio because it's for sure that he'll be a starter next year after this season he's put up i i love highlighting players from nova scotia i love going out to nova scotia it's got a little bit of a soft spot for me so hopefully he keeps playing really well and i think that's a great player of the week and reach outside of our traditional sports for both our players of the week so that must be something new we're doing for episode 10.
1: Look at us having wider horizons. Yeah, I think it was really fun through this episode to research all of the Canadian content. I think, obviously, we're Canadian, we love our country and stuff, but it's, it's just cool to find athletes that we wouldn't normally look at or, or wouldn't normally see, and... To have this opportunity to look into them and highlight them, and and hopefully introduce some of our listeners to new athletes that they can then follow and maybe inspire them to go and look for other Canadian athletes. Like it was really cool, and I'm excited to follow some of these uh, players through the rest of the March Madness tournament and and through their entire careers. I think that it's great for them to represent our country and. I'm excited to have a chance or have a platform that we can talk about it.
0: Yeah, um, and uh, I'd like to also highlight that we've had a little bit of follower uh, interaction for these last uh, couple segments and we'd like to talk about things that you want to hear us talk about and I think uh, that's super important to us continuing to do the podcast and hopefully morphing it into something really exciting in the future. So keep kind of reaching out keep being involved. We're super excited to have made it to 10 episodes. I I hope you enjoyed listening and things have been uh, going really well. And we just want to continue to build on what you want to hear from us. So keep reaching out, keep giving us our time. If we talk about something you don't want to hear us talk about or reach out with something you think we should talk about, if you have questions or people that you think we should cover, in any of the segments we've been doing over the last 10 episodes. I I love to talk about things you
1: wanna hear about and I'm super excited to keep going. Yeah, we're running low on our locked in or left field questions. So if you guys have any questions, definitely tweet them at us, at tfanalysts or shoot us a DM on Instagram at Podcast, or even comment on one of our videos on YouTube at the fanalists on youtube thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed our canadian episode i can't believe we're at 10 episodes already it feels like this time has just flown by and we've had a lot of recurring listeners so thank you guys for listening and i hope you enjoyed our first 10 episodes and many more to come